The monolithic centralized state views the decentralized family as a threat. The monolithic centralized state views the decentralized family as a threat. Therefore, the state wants to control and subjugate the family to the state through law and policy and court opinion. This is a huge tenet of Marxism, which views the family after religion to be a major pillar of bourgeois society. Family must be subjugated to the state. As I always say, every good statist knows that in order to strengthen the state, you have to weaken the family. And the family has been weakened in America by design through court opinion, through public policy, and through law. The family is an institution ordained by God and is not to be controlled by the state. Scripture teaches a federalism when it comes to the governments of men. And in a true federalism, you have multiple governments, all of which are important. The four governments are family government, church government, civil government, and self-government. All four of them have their own role, function, and limits. Family is its own government separate from the state. That might sound odd to you because you live in a statist hell where the state has taken over everything. But the family is its own government separate from the state, and in fact, civil government is an extension of family government. Civil government is birthed out of family government. It is meant to bring order to society. When you look at the condition of the state, it reveals the condition of the family. When you look at the condition of the state, it reveals the condition of the family. Look at our laws, look at our policies, look at our court opinions, and you know the condition of the family in America is at a low ebb. It's an utter ruin. And the statistics all bear this out. And it's been done by design, by the status. And men have a duty to protect their homes from the attacks and invasions of the state into their domestic affairs. All men have this duty to protect their homes from the attacks and invasions by the state into their domestic affairs. And this is the duty I speak of regarding the title of my sermon this morning. When I say a duty of fathers, a singular, a duty of fathers, is to protect their homes against the attacks and invasions of the state into their domestic affairs. We currently live in a statist hell, which through law and policy has emasculated men, undermined their authority, taken their responsibility, stripped them of their duties, belittled, sequestered, neutralized, weakened, and tamed them for the state's ends. That's the status tell we live in, in our day. The state has made our nation into a matriarchal hell, which has built law and policy and court opinion upon the foundation of feminist rot. And if you doubt this or wonder why I believe this, 
A good starting point is the fact a woman can murder her child and the man has no say whatsoever to prevent the child's, his own child's murder. Examine also our divorce, family, and probate laws. Those are good starting points for you to understand we live in a matriarchal hell. Meanwhile, PBS and all these other dopes continue the fiction that women are this oppressed lot here in America. It's utter rubbish. And men have too often sat in the corner and act like little babies, refusing to confront this wicked juggernaut. Two days ago, I was reading a list of 50 facts about the average American. Little things like that interest Matchwella. 50 facts about the average American. You know, like how much they make, what they live in, on down the line. I learned that the average American household is air-conditioned. 87% of Americans have central air. Just this past Tuesday, me and Clara had central air put into our house for the first time in our lives, so we have increased our status as average Americans. (laughs) Yes, each succeeding generation gets softer, and I even have succumbed to this air conditioning. But the last two facts of the 50 facts about average Americans are what got my attention. They are, number 49 was listed as, the average American believes the honesty and ethical standards of Congress are low. I know that's probably shocking news to you. The average American believes the honesty and ethical standards of Congress are low. And then number 50, very next one, said... The average American does not know which political party controls the House of Representatives. (laughs) So what does that tell us? It tells us that Americans realize government is in bad condition, but that they are not engaged with government matters. The majority believes government officials lack honesty and ethics, but they don't even know which party controls Congress. How is that even possible? I guess it's possible because I saw a video not too long ago where nobody knew the address of the president there in D.C., but they could all tell you where SpongeBob lived. The 50 facts also revealed that the majority of Americans don't even know what the purpose of government is. Number six fact of the 50 facts was listed as the average American thinks the government's number one priority should be to help keep and create jobs in America. Can you believe that? That's what they actually think the government exists for. That's their number one thing, is to keep and create jobs. So what does that tell us? It tells us that Americans, that they are not engaged with government matters. The number one priority is to punish evildoers and to reward those who do good. That's their number one duty. To preserve and protect our liberties from enemies, both foreign and domestic. That's their no- I bet that didn't even make the list. We have a duty to teach our children that God's law and word applies to every area of our life and to every area of life application matters. 
I hear this from people all the time. I like your sermons. You actually apply the word of God to everyday life. I hear that over and over again. You know why they say that? Because most pulpits don't. It's all Christian theory without any practical application. And people are tired of it. They want to say, you know, Pew did a poll not too long ago. Over 80% of Americans, Christians, didn't see any connection between their daily lives and their Christianity. How it would speak to that. You know whose fault that is? The pulpits. It's a disgrace. It's a disaster. We must not just preach the theory of Christianity. We must teach the application of Christianity, not just to our little narcissistic selves, but it should be all-encompassing to every area of our life and to every area of life, including the area of civil government. Hence the title of my sermon, A Duty of Fathers. But to teach our children such things, their duty regarding being involved in civil government matters, first we have to have, we have to actually have children in order to do that. And Americans are on a dead run, a death run, towards familial suicide. In 2020, we hit an all-time new low for childbirths in America, 1.6 children per couple. That's down from 2019, which was 1.7 children per couple. Demographers say that you have to have 2.1 just to replace yourselves. We are committing familial suicide with all of Western Europe and parts of Eastern Europe. Over there, 1.2, 1.3, common. Literally ending their lineage. And because of what? Their pursuit of wealth and ease is the number one reason for childlessness. Not wanting children, number one reason is the pursuit of wealth and ease. Martin Luther wrote in his day that, quote, there are many who do not want to have children, unquote. The desire to prevent offspring, brothers and sisters, is nothing new. We see it talked about down through the history of man. Man has always, because of self-centeredness and the pursuit of materialism and ease, viewed having many children as a burden and a detriment to self-fulfillment. And true Christianity breaks a man free of that. And he sees the goodness of children and he gets rid of his world-taught view of children, gives them a scriptural view of children. He's thankful to God for them. He understands the importance and purpose of them. He doesn't try to prevent them. So if the conditions of Luther's day caused him to commiserate, America's situation today would have put him in a mental hospital with severe depression. Americans have taken what Luther observed in his day to a whole new level. American Christians eat birth control pills like candy while their pastors peddle the anti-child mentality with the glee of a fuller brush salesman. For you younger people, you're like, what? What brush? So duck, duck, go it later, and you'll, you'll get the point. This anti-child mentality does not bode well for the future of our nation. I have 11 children, five sons, six daughters, as our numbers increased over the years, I noticed that I became more concerned about the public policies of our nation as the number of our children increased. 
I became more concerned about the public policy matters of our nation as the number of our children and now our grandchildren has increased. Why? Because I have a lot invested in the future of our nation. Eleven children I care, I care about deeply. I will die, and what kind of nation will I leave my children to live in? A question every man and woman thinks about from time to time as they get older. I will die, and what kind of nation will I leave my children to live in? When people do not have children or have their one or two, they tend not to care as much about the future of the nation because they have little invested in the future of the nation. Hear me out on this. When they die, it is over. So there is less concern about what is left behind culturally. And I've talked to many in my peer group who could care less about the state of the nation because they live their little self-absorbed life. Don't care about their one or two children. Don't care about their one or two grandchildren. They don't seem to get it. And it's sad when I talk to them and I hear their worldview. A man and a woman who have many children, however, tend to care more about the future of the nation because they know after they are gone, their children and grandchildren will still be there. And I know there's exceptions to the rule. I've met people who have lots of kids who are indifferent to civil government matters, who do not do well in the governance of their homes, and I've met those who have one or two children who do care about civil government matters and do very well in the governance of their homes. But generally speaking, my life experience has taught me the more children a person has, the more interest they have in civil government matters. And you know who the number one person is who tries to beat that out of them? That desire to be involved in civil government matters? Their own pastor. That's who beats it out of them. I find it interesting that the founding fathers of our nation, back when people were actually having children, just look at the numbers, the founding fathers of our nation had the following priority list, God, country, family. The priority list now for most Americans today is God, family, church, business. Country doesn't even make the list of American priorities American Christian priorities in our day. Why did the founding fathers, almost all of whom were Christians, put country before family? They did so because they knew if the country was sound, their families were safe. That's why. And that's something that should dawn on every man. The importance of being involved in civil government matters regarding the safety of their family. More men are realizing it now because they see the Leviathan the state has become and how evil and wicked they are because Christianity has pulled itself out from civil government matters for nearly 100 years now. When Christians abandon the arena of public policy, whose public policy do you think is going to rule? That's right, the public policy of wicked men, of humanists, statists, secularists, Christ-haters. Our nation is no longer sound, and our families are less safe today precisely because of our neglect of public policy. Reverend Matthias Burnett preached an election sermon at the State House in Hartford, Connecticut in 1803. That's over 200 years ago. Near the end of his sermon, Reverend Burnett, to which all the elected officials listened, 
He looked up at the gallery filled with the citizens. This is an election sermon he was preaching. And he said to them, quote, To God and posterity you are accountable for your rights and your rulers. See that you preserve them inviolate and transmit them to posterity unimpaired. Let not your children have reason to curse you for giving up those rights and prostrating those institutions which our fathers delivered to you, unquote. And we have long lost our rights. And many generations now have failed to transmit the rights, liberties, and limitations of government to the next generation. And so we must teach our children about politics and civil government matters to the besmirchment of most Christians who view it as unspiritual and a waste of time. When I was young, 10 and 12 years old, my parents would talk to us, or I would listen to them talk to other adults about politics, about the state of the nation, about civil government matters. If you know anything about Chuelas, we're very opinionated. We don't sit in a corner. If there's something evil going on, we feel like we have to butt in and say something and do something about it. That came from my parents. They were both from the lower working class. We grew up in the ghetto of Detroit. They were both Republicans, both for limited government. I can remember in 1972, when I was 12, asking them why they were both Republicans and trying to convince them to vote Democrat. And why was I doing that? That was because even way back then, 1972, some of you are younger, like, wow. He was alive then? <laughs> 1972, even back then, the teachers were overwhelmingly Democrat, and they routinely made Republicans out to be bad people and the Democrats to be good people to us kids in the school. That hasn't changed. What I've learned since then is that both parties are statists and socialists. Both parties. But my parents instilled in us, not in some planned out systematic sense, but just by how they talked and conducted their lives, an interest in civil government matters to speak our mind, to critique the state of things. All four of my siblings understand the role of government and its limits. We all, three of us especially, love to talk about such things. It's usually 95% of what we talk about when we talk with each other. All of them during this whole masking, pandemic nonsense that's been going on. None of them, for a moment, thought there was legitimacy to that. While Christians today are busy debating about whether or not they should involve themselves in public policy, or priding themselves in the fact that they don't dirty themselves by being involved, or rejoicing over the demise of the nation in regards to how it plays out in their prophecy charts. The Christians of Reverend Burnett's era saw plainly that involvement in public policy was one's responsibility and duty. That's what the Christians of that day saw. Notice the generational outlook of these Christians back then. When reading their writings, you see they regularly appealed to quote-unquote posterity and quote-unquote fathers. The future of the nation mattered to them. It mattered. They had sons and daughters. They loved Christ. 
They knew the nature of man, that he's wicked, in need of a savior. They pillared governments that were a goodness for us. And we've thrown it all on the floor while we pursue wealth and ease. The truth is, men and women who have many children tend to view being involved in public policy matters as a no-brainer. Again, it's their pastors who try to drive it out of people. The latest Pew polls results show that Americans now view the, quote, importance of children to marriage, unquote, at its lowest level in our nation's history. The survey showed that by a margin of three to one, Americans say the main purpose of marriage is the, quote, mutual happiness and fulfillment of the adults, unquote, rather than the, quote, bearing and raising of children, unquote. That doesn't spell well for us. We are an atomistic, A-T-O-M-I-S-T-I-C society. Atomistic society, individualism reigns. The family's put on the back burner. The immorality and lust and desires of the individual are made law and policy in the country to the demise of the family, the children, the sons and daughters that good people are trying to raise. And that's the first thing I say to every company I write to, every magistrate I write to. Some of us are actually trying to raise sons and daughters as they push their perversion and filth through law, policy, commercial, huge donations to the basest of men amongst us. They need to hear from us. They need to know we're at war with them because we love Jesus, because we love Christ. And we see that they're at war with him. The self-centered, anti-child mentality abounds in our nation. And as long as it does, the future for our nation looks bleak. Because the incentive to care about public policy is missing amongst Christian people. Any vestige of it is there. The pastors do all they can to root it out. So you just stand their little religious hamster wheel of meaninglessness. And so we must teach our children about politics and civil government matters. We must teach them that God's law and word applies to every area of our life and applies to every area of life. Application matters. We must not just preach the theory of Christianity. We must teach the application of Christianity to every area of our life, to every area of life. Have I said that enough times? including the area of civil government matters. Amen? We have a duty to protect our sons and daughters from being controlled by the state. Don't hand your children over to them. You know, most Christians hand their children over to the state via the government school system. Many Christian schools are no different than the government school system. Those are precious jewels, your sons and daughters that God has given you You teach them. You sacrifice. You do it. Don't hand them off to others. That's just one area. The state tries to control our sons and daughters. We must build God's republic in the earth, men. We must build God's republic in the earth. We must build the city of God. And that is done primarily through our homes. 
and what we do there. Family government. But it's also done in part through the civil government realm. Civil government is an extension of family government. Because we haven't been involved in civil government matters, it's come home to roost in our homes. My peer group, I talked to so many Christians in my peer group who've lost their children and their grandchildren to the world. Civil government is an extension of family government in order to provide order in society, biblical order in society. The family provides a training ground for world leadership. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 13. The book of Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 13. It says, Choose wise, understanding, and knowledgeable men from among your tribes, and I will make them heads over you. The family provides a training ground for world leadership. Where do you think these wise, understanding, knowledgeable men got their wisdom, understanding, and knowledge at? That's right, from their homes, from their fathers and their mothers. That's where it came from. The family provides a training ground for world leadership. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Verses 4 and 5. It says, talking about leadership within the church. One who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Where does a man learn how to rule his house? In the home he's raised in, men. In the home he's raised in. And when we don't do it right, or we just leave through divorce, those sons and daughters are at a disadvantage and have to learn from other sources. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2. The scripture reads, Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Where does one learn how to properly judge? to know what's right, to know what's wrong, what is good, what is evil, what is just, what is unjust. What is a good plan to fix a problem? What's a dopey plan to fix a problem? They learn it in the home. Fathers are to instruct their children and train them in these things, in these thoughts. They learn them in the home. The family provides a training ground for world leadership. We must instruct and train our children Men, our lives are limited. We will die. They will carry things on in the next generation. We must instill in our sons and daughters a desire to read. Christian people love knowledge. They love to read. They love to think, to build, to reform, to bring every area of life in subjection to the Lord's rule. Whenever we see one area of life that isn't in his subjection, which is most everything at this point, in America, it bothers us. We have to address it. 
And the biggest and best way to address it is to do right by your homes. Do right by your sons and daughters, by your wife. Your duty is massive in that regard. And also teach them the importance of being involved in civil government matters. Hugely important. Let them know what it's like to sit in a public hearing. Let them know what it's like to sit in a legislative hall for hours waiting to speak. Let them see you taking to task the magistrates who are acting like dogs. Massively important stuff. So men, be fathers and teach your children to think right about civil government matters and to act in regards to them, to involve themselves in public policy. I want to close with an example of this, with an example of what I'm talking about. In 2014, our church put out a press release after the federal court declared that our state constitutional amendment, that marriage is only between a man and a woman, said that that was no longer legal. It was unconstitutional. So this is one year before Obergefell when the Supreme Court said the same thing and said two men and two women can marry. So in 2014, when they made their ruling, we took our state magistrates to task for their response. Particularly, we took Governor Scott Walker to task. You know, the great conservative that everybody still wants to clap about? The guy who just made a video with former Governor Jim Doyle encouraging you all to get vaccinated, to get the shot, There's no difference between these two groups. Understand that. Let me rephrase it for some of you. There's very little difference between the two groups. Both are rooted in statism, secular thought, and socialism. Both parties. That is what they are at their root. Just the window dressing is a little different. So, yeah, here's him making his little video. Of course, I think this video with him and Doyle is probably the sequel to Robin Voss the head of the Republican Party and the Speaker of the Assembly, who did a video several months ago with a sodomite legislator encouraging us all to wear our masks. Here's what happens, right? We put out this press release entitled, We Call Upon Governor Walker to Do His Duty and Demonstrate Interposition by Defending Wisconsin Against a Lawless Federal Judiciary. This is bringing Christian thought to bear upon conservatives and Republicans. Not to mention Democrats and liberals. We already know they're just utterly brainless. I still have hope with some of the Republicans and conservatives. I have none with the Democrats and the liberals. They're openly confessing we want nothing to do with God, period. Republicans still give lip service. We subtitled it, Banners are on Milwaukee Freeway overpass. We went up on overpasses telling Governor Walker to defy the federal judiciary and protect our state constitution. It then says as a subtitle, any court opinion which denigrates and impugns the created order of God regarding marriage being between a man and a woman is an immoral decree and should not be obeyed. That's Christian thought. And then we write three pages of Christian thought to the media and to the magistrates 
And it says Governor Walker displayed rank cowardice when the U.S. Supreme Court failed to stay an egregious court opinion by federal judge Barbara Crabb, which trampled upon and disparaged Wisconsin's constitution. Rather than defend Wisconsin, he peed on himself like an outmatched dog and stated the following, quote, For us, it's over in Wisconsin. The federal courts have ruled that this decision by this court of appeals decision is the law of the land, and we will be upholding it. That's what he said. And I pointed it out to Christian people, and they couldn't make enough excuses for him. Is your fealty to Christ or to man? Goes on, we call upon Governor Walker to do his duty and defend our Constitution from this lawless federal attack upon Wisconsin. Walker went on to say, quote, I'd rather be talking in the future now more about our jobs plan and our plan for the future of the state. Remember what I said was number six of the 50 facts of the average American that government exists for jobs? Walker went on to say, quote, I'd rather be talking in the future now more about our jobs plan and our plan for the future of the state. I think that's what matters to the kids. It's not this issue. Unquote. Any good man's blood would boil when he hears the governor say that. Instead, they're utter indifference, silence, or excuses for him. We went on to state, we state to Governor Walker that we think, quote, what matters to the kids, unquote, is that those in positions of authority wield their power properly. Marriage and family is the core foundation upon which societies are built. If you pervert that, any plan you have for the future of the state is pointless and meaningless. We call upon Governor Walker to no longer hide behind the lie that, quote, a federal court is ruled, so I must obey, unquote. Western civilization is built upon the premise that when higher law, or in this case the very created order of God, is impugned by civil authorities, other civil authorities have the right, they have the duty, not to obey. The idea that lawless federal courts, including the U.S. Supreme Court, must be obeyed, even when they write opinions that inscribe immorality or perversion, is a fiction. We point out that the Supremacy Clause... Article 6, Clause 2 of the U.S. Constitution nowhere declares that federal courts or the U.S. Supreme Court has supremacy over the Constitution or our laws of our states or the judges of states. Rather, it states that the U.S. Constitution itself has supremacy. The Constitution nowhere grants jurisdiction to the federal government over marriage, nor is there any federal law that declares marriage between homosexuals is legitimate. When the Supreme Court acts outside the parameters of the Constitution, it is incumbent on the lesser magistrates within their spheres of authority to maintain allegiance to the U.S. Constitution and not blithely obey federal lawlessness. They have a duty to obey God. Hence, when Walker states that, quote, the federal courts have ruled, so I must obey, unquote, he is hiding behind a lie, a fiction created by federal courts, but repugnant to the very U.S. Constitution itself. Nowhere are states compelled to a suicide pact with a lawless federal government. The people of the state should not be forced to accept a federal court 
which makes opinions repugnant to all common sense in the clear creator order of God and says, quote, two men or two women can marry, unquote. Again, marriage and family is the core foundation upon which societies are built. Such a ruling is an attack upon family. We affirm that Christ upheld the created order of God and made clear that marriage is between a man and a woman. Jesus said, quote, But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. Mark 10, 6 and 7. We abhor the long train of abuses and attacks upon the family by this federal government and the states which have decided to act as mere provinces of the federal government, as mere implementation centers of immoral, unjust, federal laws, policies, and court opinions. Governor Walker has a duty to interpose against this federal attack upon Wisconsin, not accommodate it. We understand that every good status knows that in order to strengthen the state, you have to weaken the family. This latest course of action by federal courts upon the states is but another attempt to demean and belittle the institution of marriage and attack the family, not to mention impugn the created order of God. We note that while the governors, judges, and legislators of 27 other states have bowed their necks to federal tyranny, Alabama Chief Justice Moore and the Alabama Supreme Court have instead demonstrated interposition. Even after a federal judge trampled Alabama's constitution and homosexual marriages began, the Alabama Supreme Court interposed and the homosexual marriages have been stopped cold. They are the only state to demonstrate interposition so far against the lawless federal judiciary. They have proven that states do not simply have to obey federal courts. They have repudiated the lie of lesser magistrates that, quote, the federal courts have ruled, so we must obey, unquote. We also note that just 11 years after the ink dried on the U.S. Constitution, and then I go into some history, including history about here in Wisconsin regarding Joshua Glover and the Booth case. That's Christian thought being brought to bear in the civil realm. Do you understand that? Do you understand how important that is? You are a Christian, you must speak as a Christian. You must give them God's thoughts regarding things. You must appeal to scripture. You must appeal to history. You must appeal to our organic laws here in our nation. Organic law, of course, being the Constitution itself, one of four. There's four organic laws. The Constitution itself, the Articles of Confederation, the Northwest Ordinance, and something else. I think the Declaration of Independence. Yes, thank you. This stuff is important, brothers and sisters. And as men, we have a duty to teach our children about civil government matters. To help them think critically as a Christian. That's important for us to do. We speak prophetically to the powers that be. Our allegiance is to him first. Not to a party, not to a man. Him. First. Amen. Stand up and close an order of prayer.